this was finally the episode that we needed to say this show is on the map. Give me my transitions. Welcome to Hobbit Hoopla. Hoopla! The unofficial podcast of Second Breakfast. I'm here with my good buddies to discuss the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, Episode 6. Udun. I'm Jamie Clare, the guy who forgot to introduce himself last week. But hey, I remembered today, <laughs> so it's all good. Joining me as always is our exceptionally knowledgeable lore master, Andrew Smith. Thank you, Jamie. Andrew Smith here, a connoisseur of many nerdy things, Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and other comic book uh, properties as well. But let's just talk about Andor for a second. Aren't they just wonderful first four episodes? Excited to get into that on Holocron Hoopla one of these days. You can find me at Darth A. Smithius. Season two of the Hoopla podcast, Holocron Hoopla. Check it out anywhere you get your podcasts at some point in the vague future. (laughs) And joining us as well, we have our intrepid fantasy expert, Chris Pajo. Hey guys, Chris back here for another episode. Uh, really enjoyed this one. Excited to talk about it with you. You can find me and give me your hot takes or just join the discussion. Join the hoopla at Apple Pio on Instagram at Apple underscore underscore Pio on Twitter. And uh, be sure to follow our socials link pr.ee forward slash Hobbit hoopla. You can definitely find all our relevant links as well as your preferred podcast links. Make sure you join the hoopla every week. Thanks for listening. Excellent. And joining us this week, we have a very special guest, the number one fan of Charlotte Bronstrom, Jake Laxer. <laughs> it's rain in hell. Hallelujah. It's rain in hell. Hey, hey. Oh my God. I, I absolutely love Charlotte Brandstrom, but we'll get into that. Jake Laxer here, a uh, big fan, uh, lover of all things TV and movies. Uh, I recently rewatched the Black Panther 2 teaser trailer. Hmm. Is that Killmonger in the last shot to be determined? We'll talk about it on Hero Hoopla. Anyhow. Uh, Bad theories. (laughs) Starting it off. Season 3 of the Hoopla podcast. Coming at you. (laughs) Anywho, uh, let's, let's talk about the things that are important and at hand. Wow. That's all I got. That's all I got. What? An incredible episode, directed by Charlotte Bronstrom, of course, her first episode that she directed for the season, and my goodness, did she knock it out of the freaking park. Cinematically, the greatest episode of TV I've ever seen. Whoa! Coming in (laughs) with an exceptionally high, optimistic attitude. I love it, Jamie. You know, I love love that as well. No recency bias at all there. 100% recency bias, but that's fine, because I just, I loved it. It was crazy. It was such an amazing episode. And we'll get into all the exciting parts. We have some new theory, or some old theories. You just don't like the Harfoots. (laughs) Yes, my opinion is solely based on my distaste for the Harfoots. (laughs) But hey, that's fine. I'm just glad that we don't have to talk about The Stranger this episode, because... It gets too complicated with all the theories when we have enough theories to talk about because we've had a lot of confirmed theories this episode and we've had a lot of confirmed false theories this episode as well. But we'll get into all of that. To start off this episode, 
right where we left off in the last episode as Adar and the orcs were marching on the watchtower where Bronwyn and Arandir were trying to save the people. They get the people to safety in the village, and then the orcs and Adar show up to the watchtower with just Arandir there to collapse the tower. With just one shot of an arrow collapses the entire tower. I don't know if this was an intentionally built feature in the tower or if the architect is just terrible at tower making, but uh, start off the episode with just killing a whole bunch of orcs. I was led to believe that this was a contraption rigged by the people prior to them. Yeah, I thought so too. I'm going to go look at it. There was definitely like some stuff tied around the tower that, you know, he shot the arrow at the rope, which snapped and then everything else collapsed around it. But either way, collapsing an entire tower with one arrow is something only an elf could do. Uh, yeah, so I'm just looking at it now, live, on the broadcast. He lights the fire arrow and shoots it kind of like at a pulley counterbalance system. With an old, decrepit tower like this, could certainly make it fall over. So, I don't think it was necessarily a contraption they built for this, but you can see vines and roots, those roots from earlier, uh, just snapping off as that tower falls. Then he does the cool little thing where he kicks the rock off the bridge mm-hmm. and then the... Two by four comes through and blocks the door. That was so sick. Lot of all the orcs in the Uruks. I'm sorry, we prefer Uruks. No, they're orcs. That was a great scene because these people they're not going to be able to stand up to this army. And you see it even a little bit later in the episode, right? They're they're doing whatever they have to do to get the upper hand um, against a more formidable force. So because Arondir has been there for what seven? Did they say seventy years or is it ninety years? He would know the ins and outs of this tower and, and how they could bring it down. I, I thought that was a really cool way to get into the episode. And it started so quickly as well. You know, we got right into the action. Uh, yes, and that's one of the I best really things of this, this episode is it uh, scene after scene, there was something taking place. There wasn't the downtime. There wasn't the, the slowness that we've seen in maybe some of the other episodes. Yeah, there was constant excitement. It's just too bad that that tower couldn't have fallen on top of Sauron's shrine. I know. Would have saved so many things if the tower just fell a little, if like five feet farther, everything would have been fine. That was the one flaw in their plan. <laughs> well, we don't actually see how Adar gets out of that, right? Like, I want to say RIP to one of my favorite orcs in the series so far, Bazur. He's like the just, <laughs> he, he, something falls on top of him. He's the one that's like ordering people around. He kind of looks like a, he has like a pig face almost to him. Great, great, great do leader. Need, do we need music for, for character death? Great, yeah. great leader, Brazur. Rest in peace. We all, we liked your so interactions with your underlings. R.I.P. Brazur. Do you mean this eulogy character music? Pause for <laughs> eulogy character music. <laughs> perfect it's beautiful i hear it now <laughs> this podcast is going to be 90 percent music by the end of the season yeah we're not even going to be talking it's just going to be a full-on soundtrack by bear mccreary and i'm fine with that because let's get that theory music going because we have a theory from the last episode that we need to discuss the last scene we saw with bronwyn and arondir in the last episode was when they're having that discussion that started out as a private discussion and then transitioned into a discussion, a loud argument in the middle of this whole uh, group of people about whether or not they should follow Adar or not. And I thought that this was going to be kind of like an act that they were putting on, where Bronwyn was going to pretend like, oh, they should go pledge fealty to Adar, and 
Arandir was going to say, no, the people are strong. They can follow us. And we didn't get any confirmation that it was an act. It's starting to feel like maybe it wasn't. And it was, like Chris said, just a uncomfortable conversation that they were having. But we do end up, the result of it being that Bronwyn did turn into a bit of a better leader this episode. I still think that was absolutely an act to just get people behind. Why? Um, Why? I, Why? Because no one trusts the elf. Why? But now I, they do. Now yeah. they do trust the elf. I will give you that. I don't know. Who knows? But let's move on to the great parts but, of this. But it was such a stamp. We're not moving on because <laughs> yes, Jamie thank you. confirmed thank you. my theory. Not really so much a theory. That's not a, a theory, and he didn't a, confirm anything. I know, I know, I know. It was more of a blemish <laughs> on the previous episode. And again, it, the stain follows it. The stink follows there was no reason for that scene to be as outlandish and poorly staged as it was. And if it was an act, true, which true. that was introduced to me as an idea last episode here, thanks to you, Jamie, I was on board. I thought, okay, maybe they're outplaying me. There's no confirmation here. Uh, you can make assumptions all day long, but I still think it was a blemish on the last episode, and I think it's a blemish on this episode. We did get right into the action, but I did think that there was just no confirmation on why that scene existed. We didn't get any more about the plan until this episode, which, bear in mind, was also good. I liked to be surprised about the tower and everything, but it still haunts me a little bit. Watching the rest of this episode, and we'll talk about it, kind of helped it along, but it's just weird. Before we move on to the next thing, and, and you're right, Chris, you are correct. Um, I, I'm in agreement. It was still kind of weird but uh jamie you mentioned that in this episode we saw bronwyn become a little bit more stepping into the uh shoes and filling the role as a leader shout out to darby in south carolina yes i was a little a little harsh in my review previously of bronwyn but let me say i agree with you jamie now we are seeing bronwyn for i believe who she is supposed to be she takes an arrow for the people. She's serving as an ambassador. <laughs> this is what we're talking about. This is grade A Bronwyn. I want to follow Bronwyn. Guess what? Guess what? At the end of the episode, she's wearing the garb of the people. We're doing oh. it, folks. It is happening. Yeah. Bronwyn is the hero we need her to be. That's my take. But yeah, it was a great episode for Bronwyn. Uh, really brought up her character a lot in her she became much more of a leader in this episode. But yes. I think to Chris's point, if this was an act, the result of the act in the minds of the people would be that they would trust Bronwyn less as a leader. It would, it would be pushing them more towards following Arondir as opposed to following Bronwyn. And the result of this episode is we see that Bronwyn has much more taken over the role of a leader among these villagers than she had previously and, then, and that Arondir has. So... I am very strongly doubting that it was an act and maybe it was just uncomfortable writing, bad conversation. I don't know. But speaking of writing, the writers for this episode, there were actually the most amount of uh, writers we've had up till this point for any episode. We had four writers. Got a shout out to all of them. We have Nicholas Adams, Justin Doble, J.D. Payne, and Patrick McKay firing on all four cylinders. Mm. Had to shout them out. They deserve it. Um, fantastic writing, fantastic directing, again, by Charlotte Brandstrom. We get the longest fight sequence we've had so far this season, pretty much the entire first half of this episode, first two-thirds of mm -hmm. this episode, maybe, is the fight in the village when the orcs come. And one of my favorite shots was when the orcs first arrive at the village, and we mm -hmm. see Arondir yeah. with his elf eyes keeping watch. 
And then as the torches start to come up over the hill, we get the music that follows with each additional torch. Boom. Yes. Boom. Bum, 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 and it just grows and grows and grows and it's more intense as all these orcs come that was so beautiful like the ominous tones and the the slow build up as you see one light and then another and it grows and grows and it just yeah. strikes the fear that orcs do to the humans and they have for generations right it was those natural horror movie strings you're right andrew it was that mm-hmm. it's those crazy <laughs> rampant yeah you can you can fit fix that in editing jake but are you uh, are you bear mccreary <laughs> <laughs> a master yes just uh, but it's it's something where we've been talking about how this show is a little more mature than maybe some mm-hmm. of the movies. Again, keep coming back to that whimsical world of the original Lord of the Rings, but this is a little more mature. I'm here for it. I think it fits the tone of this brutal world where darkness truly is spreading. In Lord of the Rings, we already knew that darkness had spread and is continuing to spread more. This is the first inklings, the bottom of the barrel scrapings of darkness, just trying to find uh, some foothold in this world and we hear that later when adar is talking about weeds serve a place to live but i'm getting ahead of myself there there's a lot more action before we get to that i i agree mm, though chris it, it is you know it is obviously these very dark tone but all as in lord of the rings typically there's little points of hope but here we're following it up with more darkness like something positive will happen yeah. and then mm-hmm. like the villagers win and then the villagers get taken down and then they seemingly feel like they win again because Numenorians come in and then they get taken down. And it's just it's constant. And it throughout the episode, you're, it's what really gets my heart beating. It was getting my heart beating all the way throughout. That's yeah, that's a great note. There was more of a sense of hopelessness against these orcs than we got in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, mm-hmm. like even though Definitely. they were at much smaller numbers attacking this village in the Southlands and you know attacking helm's deep or whatever in lord of the rings when they were trapped at the end and just in that small tavern every single human who was left alive piled into this tavern and then the orcs aren't even attacking they're just walking up to the village yeah and you can just feel that there is nothing that this group of humans can do against the orcs and it was terrifying mm-hmm. there definitely was a sense of terror and and horror throughout that encampment, if you will. When we see Bronwyn dying, uh, I have to shout out to Theo, Tyro, Muhafadin. Uh, the acting in this episode yeah, as Bronwyn may have extinguished or died. I <laughs> <laughs> She extinguished like a torch. You used such an eloquent word. <laughs> and then you had it, it doesn't mean the same if you have to explain it. You were you were killing it and then you were like, or died. <laughs> Her flame of life extinguished from this earth. The essence of this beautiful, powerful person's soul thrust upon this earth by the gods above. She fucking kicked By it. even the Valar himself. Anyhow, uh, my what I was trying to get at was the acting in this episode was absolutely phenomenal i truly got chills when bronwyn nearly died and Mm -hmm. i also got chills at the end of the episode as we feel and witness darkness rushing over galadriel and the audience in of itself fade to black Yeah, yeah i was i was just blown away and one of my favorite moments with bronwyn this episode was when she was 
on the table after she had been stabilized by Theo and Arondir. But then the orcs came in and they were just executing people just mm-hmm. mercilessly yeah. without even Adar having to say anything. These orcs are just brutally stabbing people. And then Savage. Bronwyn is next. And you see her just kind of make eye contact with Arondir. And she just has this like she brave look on her face. She's like, yes, we're, we're saving the world. This, if this is how I go, this is how I go. But we're not giving up. I want to add something in about the writing into Arondir's character here in this particular scene. We see Arondir's reluctance to cut down the tree a few episodes ago. Maybe it was episode three. We get a greater resistance here in terms of giving up the hilt. And I think that truly speaks to Arondir's character as to how impactful and how much this is going to shape like the globe, how, how significant that this event is going to be if Adar gets a hold of this item. The fact that Theo's the one to turn this over, I think it just adds all the more to what, how you know, real this and impactful the situation is going to be. That's a good point, Jake. And it actually makes me draw a parallel between the two storylines that we have here in this episode. So if I could stitch them together with the words that you just said there, it's a parallel between Galadriel and Arondir because they're both elves. They, and by the way, they know each other, which was a really cool hint great. later in the episode. It was ah, a huge world building cool. hint. Again, we'll get to that as those stories merge, but I, still I want to stick on your point here. It's, it's something where they're elves and they, they have hundreds and hundreds of years to prepare but also to understand things, the way of things. And, and they realize that evil has to be snuffed out because they've seen it come back time and time again. So they both understand that mission and in a way that these humans just don't. I love the villagers. They took, they took a couple L's back and forth, but they fought. That's the thing. And, and it was hard to trust an L, hard to trust any leader at that point. But, and they did fight, but uh, it's a good parallel that you made there, Jake. Thanks, Trent. Appreciate you. Yeah, one of the bigger losses that they take in this episode, which we kind of briefly glanced over here for a second, though, is after the first wave of orcs show up and the men, the villagers, are able to take down the orcs, only to learn that most of those orcs they were fighting were actually the other men, and they had just been Mm. fighting themselves. Brutal gut punch. And the orc says to, I think, Arondir, they had to pay their toll. You know, to be in our army, they're the newcomers, and we they sent them out as the early cannon fodder. I just thought mm-hmm. that was a wonderful plan by Adar. Even after Adar got part of his army was taken down at the watchtower, you can tell that this is a seasoned commander or captain that is going to be a very formidable force throughout the remainder of this season, even maybe going forward. It was a great plan by Arondir you know, to get the orcs in and and block off the passageway and and be able to take those down. But Adar knew that something like that would happen and was multiple steps ahead. And once again, once you realize that that, that these are the humans and the arrows start flying in and start taking down the villagers, that is so impactful Mm -hmm. and just terrifying. One quick thing. It was jaw-dropping. One quick thing I did want to say, though, these humans, they're doing whatever they can to survive. Arondir uses a. Did you see the shield he used to block himself from multiple arrows? Was actually a door. Like, that's the type of mentality they have. They're scavenging to survive. Oh, no way. Mm. Cool catch. Great catch. Look at that. I'll give you another catch here, real quick. We see the well for the third time this episode. (laughs) (laughs) They love love that. Introducing the theme song for the well. 
<laughs> we did indeed see the well once again. Yeah. So Sorry, this the, the whole the well. first half of the episode, maybe first two thirds of the episode. I don't know exactly what the timing was. Was just the orcs and the Southlanders battling it out, and the Southlanders thought they had the upper hand. They thought they won. Mm-hmm. Turns out they didn't. Then Adar comes in, threatens to kill Bronwyn, which causes Theo to give up the hilt. But right at that moment is when the Numenorians swing in. We get a whole cavalry, millions and millions of Numenorians on horseback, swinging in to <laughs> save the day, just like the Rohirrim at Helm's Deep. On the fifth day, look to the east. They're like, they're, weren't they on three <laughs> ships? There was three ships, and they had like so many horses. Like, I, he's well, a you stable. Well, you see how far... Yeah. The ships went really deep under the water. They were like 30 <laughs> levels below deck, just filled with horses. That's They didn't uh, like show you icebergs. that in the episode. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're iceberg ships. But Jamie, Jamie, before we... Wait, I know I, I don't want to go back on you here, but you didn't even mention Treadwell. My favorite character oh. in the Southlands, oh. R.I.P. Treadwell. He has this nice cowl with all the black stuff coming out of the udders. The guy's just a bro. Dying, took two two air two arrows in the back and was uh, was taken out. I seeing Bronwyn see him die was a pretty sad moment for me as well. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I tried to move on to the next plot point before we talked about the number one most important character in the show, Treadwell. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I had another comment about this. These aren't your average or, or they're not your average stormtroopers here. They hit their targets. Yeah. yeah. How about they that? They were wow. pinpoint accurate. That's good. That Bronwyn good. got hit twice. You see them running into the tavern and just bop, bop, bop. Like each of the villagers is taken down. And that doesn't happen in these series. No, especially not an important character. How many times right. did a stormtrooper miss Leia and Luke and Han just like running around <laughs> a corner? <laughs> Every time. Every single time. Which again added to the horror of this and the feeling of hopelessness as these orcs are coming in like they will just kill you there's nothing you can do about it one thing to counteract that hopelessness feeling is a quick scene that to be honest when i first watched the episode i don't remember taking any notes on and and certainly didn't remember before i watched the second it's the love scene i mean we've got a small love hook here Mm. uh i'm i'm shipping the relationship i'm on record as saying that i do understand that it's a relationship that we've wondered what the relationship is for quite a while now, but do we finally get confirmation? We, yeah, we will confirm that my theory is officially incorrect. Okay. Bronwyn okay, is go. not a Rondier's daughter. I'm sorry, everybody. My <laughs> only incorrect theory of the whole series, I promise. Our, our viewers were wondering that the whole time. They're like, there, there's no way that Bronwyn is related to Rondier. Jamie's been telling us this the whole time. But even while they're kissing, you still can't see the tops of her ears. She still might be a half elf. Okay. <laughs> okay, but You're... continue, Chris. Um, yeah, an important point about the love scene. Oh, no. It, my point was made as soon as you said you were wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I did think it was a really sweet moment, though, when he said, what? You and I, he talks about a new garden after the battle. A new garden. The, the elfland scenes, yeah. Uh, and you and I and Theo. And when he says and Theo, it's been implied that Theo is his son. I think that's enough. Do we think that's enough? Let's go around. 
Oh, is I don't it, is, think is, it's is, his son at all. I think that was don't? confirmation that it was not his son. No, yeah, I oh, agree. I don't think it's really? his son. I took yeah, it I don't different. think it's his son. I think it's their son. Yeah. I think it was more impactful for him saying that because it's not his son, but right. he uh, loves that, Theo. That's exactly how I I'm took it. I'm here for you and all of you. That's what he's yeah. saying. That's what I took it as. Right. Even though yep. your son I, hates I elves and is clearly a half elf because we haven't seen his ears yet like he would have how does his, how does his hair not part at any point during these battles never <laughs> never once uh, yeah i i guess we're split on that then because I, I andrew you agree with me right yeah. you think it is that's how i took it but yeah. i would understand that that would also make sense oh as it could a, go either way so yeah. i'm interested to see if it'll be very clear mm. at any point or if it's just all right we're on sun watch yeah we're well, on this sun is, watch. this is exciting this is the first time in hobbit hoopla where we are 50 50 on a subject oh okay is that true everybody make note episode six 50 50 <laughs> usually we're just all against jake <laughs> it's usually three on one <laughs> chris i am glad that you brought up that scene though because that is a very important theme throughout the lord of the rings is hope when all seems lost when darkness seems like it's going to take over everything there is always a glimmer of hope and this is one of a couple scenes that we got this episode where the people are fighting knowing that they're probably going to die but they still have a little bit of hope for the future mm. and it was it was nice to finally see arondir admit his love for bronwyn it was nice with the elven seed yes the seed which will yeah. come back shortly to save bronwyn's life as they That's cauterize true. her arrow wound with the, uh, well, I forget what those seeds are called, but Afrin seeds. Afrin. Talk about blood in this episode. There was. Oh, golly. Yeah. Gallons and gallons and gallons. You know, of blood one of the episode. most disgusting parts, but also one of the most wonderful parts is when Arondir is fighting the one Uruk yeah. and the, the blood coming out of the guy's eye, pouring into his mouth. Because they set up Right before the battle, there was a lot of kind of goodbyes. At that moment, I, I wasn't sure if Arondir was actually going to make it out. Like, I know that Arondir is a main character, but it would have been a very effective way to kill off his character if he died saving them, like in one of these early battles. The choreography in the fight scene there was just wonderful as well. Well, yeah, and because of that scene we just talked about, Andy, I mean, it's possible we got enough of how you say uh, a movie send-off yeah. for a character to possibly yeah. die. For sure. For sure. I feel like we got that twice. That's what I thought when we saw the initial love scene between Bronwyn and Arondir as they were like, we're going to plan our future together. I was like, well, one of you is going to die for sure. Yeah. Guaranteed. <laughs> That's how it works. And it almost happened to both of them. But I will say, I'll keep talking about how incredible uh, Charlotte Bronstrom was at directing this episode. Just the excessive amount of blood that we see from that orc dripping directly onto Arondir's face. Like, we knew that orcs had black blood, right? But seeing mm -hmm. that overwhelming amount of black blood, like, sears it into your mind that orcs have black blood. And then yeah. in a couple shots later, when we see the dead humans on the ground, and we just mm -hmm. see a glimmer of their red blood bright on the neck, red, yeah, we red. immediately mm -hmm. know that it's a man and not an orc. Oh, That's a yeah. great point. That's a great point. I'm going to go so far, Jim, and say... Uh, I saw liters and liters of blood in this episode. I like to think that Middle Earth probably uses the metric system, but, but I, 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 I digress. Um, but the important thing, I was going to transition to the point in terms of the Numenorians. I want to just say the first time we see blood with them coming in is when Valindiel is being a badass, killing an orc. Yeah, he is great. And another excellent directing decision 
one of the first kills he does, we see stab, twist, gut. Oh, yeah. I loved really? it. I loved it. Oh, man. Yep. I'm going to have to go yeah, back. It was, it was a great directing little, now. little Easter egg. So awesome. thank you, Charlotte. Uh, it was great. And one of the kills, I think he even used one of the orc's swords to start killing orcs with. And I don't know if that has That's like correct. deeper yep. symbolism to it that he picked up a sword of an orc. He was getting in there and he yeah. was loving the fight. He was loving the fight a lot more than Otama was, who had a little bit too much fighting this episode. Jake, the just real quick, the part you were talking about, Stab Twist Gut for our listeners. If you want to see that, that's at minute 40, almost on the dot. Good find. Good call out. I love that little Easter egg. You're right. They have a really good close-up of it. So yeah, go yeah. check that out. Those are the types of things that when we yeah. go back through the series and we re-watch through, those are the, the small things that you can really tell that if the writing is very intentional, those things will stand out. So I'm, I'm excited to go and take a look there, Jake. Yeah. I mean, Jamie was bringing up the great point about the, the blood parallel and so i i figured i'd also add in my my little catch as well yeah beautiful and that whole fight scene when the numenorians show up on the cavalry and just tear down all the orcs and we get to see galadriel doing more <laughs> of her incredible elf stuff just like we saw from legolas in the original trilogy just like she doesn't care about gravity or physics when she's on a horse she's yeah. swinging she's killing things man incredible i loved it i loved every second of it and Halbrand's yeah. out there killing people with his spear. Absolute beast. Both of them. I mean, Galadriel was just incredible and throughout this whole episode. Um, stepping into the warrior. We want her to be and we, we need her to be. And then Halbrand finally taking on his role uh, as king of the Southlands. One point I want to make about Galadriel and, and the cool horse maneuvers that she does. Lord of the Rings and, and you know fantasy in general, when we're watching it on screen, we want to see cool kills. We want to see well-choreographed fights. And we do. We get that. But the important thing that stood out to me is that she does that horse move two times. Mm. And that's not a move that you would normally just, you know, ignore and say, oh, yeah, that's just normal. But she does that twice because that's what she would do. She's a trained warrior. She's, she's a, didn't get this way from not following rules and not doing what was appropriate for the situation. So be, just because we see that twice, I think it was a, another point to add to the writing consistency. She did that because that was the move that she needed to do to win the fight. And boy, did she. She rides up on Arondir and says in Elvish uh, or in Kenyan that, you know, where's the commander? Who do I chase? Uh, where's the fight? So she's a warrior. Dope. She's trained for this. And, and I think it just really speaks to the character and consistency of the writing for her. Yeah, and and I think we get a little little scene of Theo falling in love. Maybe we'll get yeah. a little, maybe, <laughs> He immediately maybe we'll get loves little, elves. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to get a little Anakin Skywalker story going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the the one thing that I, you know, once again when we were coming into this this early season, you know, we we're wanting to see what what will the action scenes be like with the elves? Will it be more hobbity with Legolas or will it be more Lord of the Rings with Legolas? This is the type of movement like flipping kind of down off the horse and the way she does that I would expect in the Hobbit movies, but there's something about how these are shot that make them more realistic. There's more realism to it than what you would have seen in the Hobbit. There's so much grace when she when she makes that movement. Yeah. Great term, yes. Uh, Andy, I think you explained my point better than I did, by the way. <laughs> I, I just feel like the Galadriel in the Lord of the Rings trilogy and her movement, this is just a younger Galadriel, and I'm so happy that the connection works. 
So when I go back and I watch Fellowship of the Ring, like this is Galadriel. I think definitely what we're getting is a greater appreciation for the characters we've known to come yeah. and love. Um, and so it's it's fun to explore their histories, their past and their developments. And honestly, they're crushing it. Yeah, absolutely. And perfect transition into one of our favorite characters from the original trilogy, delving into his past, Aragorn, and his ancestors, Isildur and Elendil. We get to see some like perfect parallels to Aragorn's uh, connection to his horse that he has in the original trilogy as Elendil teaches Isildur how these horses who ride into battle with their rider have an unbreakable bond between the two of them and they can sense each other's emotions. Great and we get dad. another mention, the second mention this episode of Isildur's mother, who is still yes. a mystery. Who is calling to him from the West. <laughs> oh, no way. Theory music. Theory, oh, no, cue, cue my theory wow. music. Cue my theory music, baby. Yeah, maybe. that could be. No, she, well, oh, okay. Maybe you're right. She drowned. Maybe. Quote, unquote. She drowned. Wink, wink. She drowned, and the sea is always right. So who knows? It could be off in the air, but. Hey, maybe. Uh, or she I, could be in the real feel... Numenor, which doesn't exist anymore. Who knows? I, I like that theory. It'd be interesting. I like that theory too. Let's use that segue to talk about a scene where that doesn't really have many other segues because this story is so focused on the war in the Southlands. Right before they get there, obviously the Numenorians are on the boats and we get that double back-to-back -back scene. It's, it's pretty quick when Isildur is kind of, he wakes up and then he starts brooding at the top of the ship and you know he looks over and Galadriel interrupts and they have this conversation it's almost just like a battle of wits. They're trying to figure each other out. Isildur is clearly an important character and will continue to be, but Galadriel's at the same and even more importance and, of, of course, higher rank in their current timeline. So it's a very cool scene, the little back and forth battle of wits. But then we get a, a stark contrast to that where uh, Elendil comes up and talks to Galadriel, kind of you know, excuses Isildur, go back to your bunk or whatever that is. And then we get the... It's not really a metaphor, but he's talking about how he's sailing in one direction. He sees the sunset mm -hmm. and sunrise from specific directions, and now it's all backwards as they sail to Middle Earth. I guess it is a metaphor because that's really what he's saying is distrust for the elves. Why are we on this mission? Why am I taking orders from Galadriel? And then the very, very caught me off guard line, she drowned, and then he <sighs> walks away. That was a very impactful scene. Another writing masterpiece, I think, from these writers. The stark contrast between those two scenes and to put them back to back was just a really great decision. And I love the acting. Yeah, that was a great scene. And I, I like your catch on the metaphor and then leading right into him mentioning his, how his wife drowned. Could her drowning have come at the hands of her trusting the elves and being in the same position that he's in right now leading to her death? There you go. I don't know. Even more exciting than I originally thought. Now that I'm thinking about the horse and connecting with the horse, you often see the elves connecting with their horses. And you see that when Galadriel is following after Adar and, and speaking to her horse and and pushing him faster and you see that you know again with arwen in fellowship yeah. of the ring i do think there is an interesting connection with elendil his wife and the elves and i really want to i want to know where they're gonna be moving towards with that maybe she was accepted into by the valar to the west wouldn't that be an interesting take or maybe she did drown as she was trying to get there bring back the theory music yeah i think that'd be very interesting if 
Correct me if I'm wrong, Lore Master, but in official canon, we don't know anything about Isildur's mother, right? Not that I know of. They have free reign to just do whatever they want with Isildur's mother. If she is one of these Numenorians who was friendly with the elves back when Numenorians were still friendly with the elves and they accepted her to Valinor, that would be super interesting and lend even more of importance to the whole family mm-hmm. that Elendil, Isildur, and Aragorn are part of. By the way, when we're on that boat real quick, I just wanted to say, Isildur sharing an apple <laughs> with Beric. The, the horse <laughs> takes a bite, he takes One a bite, bite, and then he tosses it. Yeah, like these, sucks it there's into the ocean. Like, give it to the other horse. Like, what are you doing? There's Isildur? ten thousand horses. Come on. There's also men that people need to be to be fed. <laughs> like, in Asildur, he's a classic <laughs> noble just wasting rations while all the men are starving <laughs> under ship. Well, this is why he's a stable boy. I think this confirms our theory that the ship is actually 30 stories deep below <laughs> must the, be. the surface of the water. Yeah, yeah. Just a couple of those stories stores must be just stores full of, of apples. Food. <laughs> but I did laugh at that when he gave the horse one bite and then just chucked an apple into the ocean. Uh, also, another quick thing about that map transition here. Interesting one with Muriel. Yeah, that, Muriel, that was yeah. interesting. The magnifying glass that looks over top of the her map and then we move into the Southland scenes. I love how they're doing these transitions. It started with yeah. like, you know, you're actually moving across the map. But now that we know what areas look like, they're doing it in different ways. Yeah, they're doing fun, fun little cinematic things. It is pretty great. So now let's do our own beautiful map transition to something that Andrew just mentioned as Galadriel is chasing Adar on the horse. And then somehow Hallbrand comes from the other direction. I I don't understand how that works, but that's fine. It doesn't matter. He came from the other direction, tripped up Adar's horse. (laughs) By the way, I want to shout out to Hallbrand for saving the horse and not killing it. No horses were harmed in the making of this (laughs) production. They very clearly show the horse stand up. The horse is okay, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I am in support. Halbrand gets my vote. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's actually an interesting point that I didn't even think of. But as we're about to start this discussion, because we have to discuss whether or not Halbrand is Sauron, does the fact that he did not kill the horse lean you in one direction or not? Because Adar does not recognize who Halbrand is. And Halbrand clearly knows who Adar is and is pissed at him and is devastated by the fact that Adar doesn't recognize him. And I've seen online over the past couple days it going in both directions, that people thought that this interaction between Halbrand and Adar either 100% confirms that Halbrand is Sauron, or it 100% confirms that Halbrand is not Sauron because Adar didn't recognize him. So I'm interested how you guys are feeling about this. Of course, the addendum to that real quick before we dive in is, is just simply the fact that we get that one scene where she's interrogating Adar and he says, I killed Sauron. That's what you're going off of? No, I'm going off of the scene where Halbrand almost kills Adar. The only reason that people are talking about it on the internet is because of the scene in the barn, the interrogation scene, I think, right? Those things are go hang to hand. Well, it would sure. be presumably Adar killed Sauron and then Sauron's coming back as a different type of, like in a different face. Or something like that and, and coming back to kill right. him. Over the past few episodes, I've left the thought that Halbrand is Sauron and he's just a net new like character in the series that is this like king type figure. But that is a possibility. You know, we know that Sauron can shapeshift. I just didn't believe Adar when he said that he killed Sauron. I thought that was a front. Neither does Galadriel. In regards to the scene where Adar says to Halbrand, you know, maybe I perhaps killed 
a woman or a child. Mm. I just took that as he's committed so many evil, heinous acts that he simply cannot remember yeah. what he has inflicted. And randomly, may- maybe he wouldn't remember Halbern's face. But on the flip side, he is supposed to be recognized as King of the Southlands. You would think that'd be a pretty memorable face. Or at least he was the heir to the King of the Southlands. Like he sure. wasn't the King of sure. the Southlands when Adar was killing everybody. Still a notable figure. If Halbrand does become Sauron, like if that twist does come to fruition, that would be crushing to Galadriel. That would be a very yeah. interesting plot point that could drive Galadriel to do very interesting things. Violent things, dark things. And cause her to flee to the woods and hide yeah, from yeah. the remainder of the valor, ostracizing herself. I kind of want Halbrand to be Sauron now. Like that's a that would be very interesting. And then yeah. he takes control of like these these people. I don't, I don't know. It is a spicy theory, and for that, cue the hot take music. Hot take music. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so we have one vote for not Sauron, a second vote for not Sauron. Chris, how are you feeling? I'm abstaining. I'm not talking Sauron anymore until the end of season one. No guesses. Even if we get a confirmation, then of course I don't have to guess. If we don't get a confirmation by the finale of season one, then I'll guess. But for until then, I'm not making any more guesses. You know what? I love that. I love that a lot. I hate that. I'm going to make so many guesses. Can't lose if you don't play, baby. <laughs> We've already guessed every single character, so there's no reason (laughs) to guess any further. We're already going to be correct eventually. So, yeah, I like that. We can stop guessing who Sauron is. But I did think it was interesting because my initial take was the same as you guys, Andy and Jake, and Chris as well, more in the direction of Halbrand not being Sauron. So I was very surprised to just read on the internet that people thought this was a 100% confirmation that Halbrand was Sauron. But I think we're all in the opinion of that Maybe not, but it was at least interesting. And we do sure. know at least that one of our theories from very early on in the show, specifically Jamie's theory about who Adar is, was 100% correct. He was indeed one of the original elves to be corrupted by Morgoth. Good yeah. job, Jim. Hoopla! A Moriandor, the Sons of the Dark, the First Orcs. The Uruk. I want an anthology show about Morgoth corrupting some of these elves and just a band of the Moriandor. <laughs> so we're just going to keep going, keep going farther and farther back. I, okay, Amazon, come on. Let's pick up like an eight season Morgoth series. I'm ready for this. Yeah. <laughs> I am ready. And if you mess it up. <laughs> we're not even through the first season of this. We need more. Andy's ideal situation is Amazon. Amazon has a budget of a trillion dollars (laughs) for Lord of the Rings. I would watch it. I would 100% watch it. But as I think, Chris, you had a similar theory that Adar was a new character, not Sauron, not anything like that. And we do find out that he calls himself an Uruk, one of these first orcs. We see even more about his love and the care he has for these orcs. He thinks they are truly people and they deserve a home just like the other men of Middle Earth do. Each has a name, each has a heart, and is worthy of a home. They're humanizing them. I found it so compelling that even after they were brutalizing these these people in the town, I had sympathy 
for the orcs in this moment when he's talking about them individually. I just think it's great writing that they're able to accomplish that. Obviously, they're doing horrible things, but even at the beginning of the episode, when he's talking to the full army in his kind of speech the battle speech he's mentioning things like you came here from slavery and and you can just feel that yeah that this is their father this is their leader they believe in adar we have sympathy for adar at the same time that galadriel is now taking on the role of like the villain yeah at least in this specific conversation yeah i love how adar twisted that on galadriel how mm -hmm. she is also stepping into the world of darkness by wanting to kill all of the orcs i loved that but from a, a cinematic directing point we see the tilted camera angle just before the world gets turned upside down and i love oh. that cinematic decision i thought that was nice. great this scene for me if you exclude battle scenes which is a majority this scene was certainly takes the cake for scene of the episode mm -hmm. it, it's a testament to morford clark and, and joseph molly that the back and forth they have again another battle of wits here who's going to have the upper hand in these negotiations just because adar is chained up doesn't mean he doesn't have a back pocket plan that we know comes into action but both of these actors one thing about actor chemistry that you don't often see of course you know you have your rom-coms where you need the actors to be falling in love and be convincible in that realm you have other types of roles where you need to be convincing but one of the hardest feelings to evoke i think for an actor would be hate something even stronger than hate despising the person mm -hmm. that you're trying to have this conversation with Galadriel needs Adar alive. We saw that in the woods. You can't kill him. I need him alive to get that more information about where the rest of your evil is hiding. So she can't kill him even though she wants to. And that leads up to a, a huge explosion metaphor alert where she almost just kills yeah. him. And, and I think it was a really cool hint by the team to add the blood. Like yeah. she got him. You know, you have those Disney scenes or those children's scenes where something almost bad happens, but then of right. course nothing comes of it. But Oh, she got him. And that was an important mm -hmm. little thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially coming 30 seconds after she says that she needs to keep him alive so that she can kill him after every single one of his children has been murdered. And then two seconds later, he gets her angry enough to almost kill him there on the spot. Think of how striking that would be when he says, you're the successor to Morgoth. That, yeah. that goes against everything in her Your will. Your search should have ended in the mirror. That's incredible. You were Essentially, you were the one that killed Finrod. Like, you've gone too far. You're the darkness that you've been looking for. I think why that hits her so strongly is because that brings it back to exactly what she said to Halbrand an episode or two ago. She was saying that Elrond and Gilgalad couldn't decipher her from the evil she was fighting. So she already has this fear that she is the evil. And then when Adar turns it back on her, then it was just too much and she almost killed him. But there is one thing yeah. I do want to, to go back to this framing of that shot when we see... Galadriel standing and Adar seated tied up to this pole but we get the tilted camera angle as Jake was mentioning another cool thing that I at least got from that shot was the tilted camera makes things feel kind of uncomfortable puts you kind of in more alert when you see the camera angle tilted like that but what it also did was evened the level of Galadriel and Adar Ooh, absolutely uh, so rather than Galadriel standing above him they were pretty close to being level on the screen even though physically she was standing, but in the conversation they were equals with each other. 
So I thought it was a fantastic little way to make the scene feel weird just by tilting the camera a little bit. Great call. Yeah. Watch that scene again. Do a little research if you like. It starts at about the 48th minute, that interrogation scene. We're talking about these cuts, and I'm watching it live back while listening to your excellent points. It's only reinforcing them. There's so many different camera angles in just this one scene while they're cutting back and forth during these tense, harsh, one-liner negotiations. It's really invigorating to see these camera angles, and I didn't notice it the first time or the second, so I'm glad you guys brought it up. Hopefully our listeners get a kick out of that because it's a really different scene when you're watching with those angles. And then we get at the very end of that scene as Halbrand stopped Galadriel from killing Adar, Galadriel walks out, and as Halbrand is getting ready to follow her, Adar turns to him and says, Who are you? And we get no response from Hal Brandt. So, who the heck is this guy? There's background here. Yeah, very I got to take over and do a double point real quick. And I'm sorry to enforce it, but you can, you can put in a sound effect for that too if you want. <laughs> do you mean this takeover sound effect? <laughs> <laughs> I have a gripe. I have a gripe. I have a negative on the episode. Impossible. There were way too many last second saves in this episode it got so tiring how many oh i got him now and then oh got stabbed in the back or uh oh, arrow to the gut oh it just it was it was very overused in what i thought was excellent battle choreography and some really compelling scenes but it happened so often we had bronwyn slaying the large orc that arendir was fighting on the well we had the Hallbrand save right in the woods where he just almost Oh, he couldn't, uh, he had to get his anger out, but then, oh, I need him alive. It, it happened with uh, Antimo and Velandil, and even happened with uh, Isildur and Elendil. It, it happened four times, maybe there's more. That's my gripe. What's your take on that? It was something that didn't really necessarily jump out to me. It didn't necessarily bother me too much because there were deaths, a lot of deaths in the episode. Obviously, they were right. the townsfolk, so they, they weren't the main characters. Well, let me flip it on you. Why didn't they take the opportunity to kill someone? Maybe someone important. Lots of chances. We had some send-offs. Because we got five more seasons, baby. <laughs> we can't kill anybody yet. And this isn't Game of Thrones. This is Lord of the Rings. And we know that Galadriel, Elendil, Isildur have to survive because we know they survive. Yeah, I don't know. I think it, maybe it would have been cool for someone to die, but you know. Well, the milkman died, right? Yeah, Treadwell, uh, RIP. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm sorry, my point's invalid. <laughs> Treadwell oh, was, he was a great guy, a great man for the community. He, uh, he's the only man yep. with any cows in the town. Who has cows now? I guess his cows are not around anymore. But. Yeah, well, no, there's not enough people alive to need cows, so it's fine. But who needs cows when you have a new king? As Halbrand, the king of the Southlands. We got to talk about this scene a little bit because this is when I watched it the first time. I had a major gripe with this scene. Yeah, yes. how quickly Halbrand just Preach. accepted. All right, yeah, I'm king. You're right. You got me. Yes. He's been so hesitant for it, and then as soon as he sets foot in this town, he's just like, yes. That made me suspicious as to I agree. if he really uh, is supposed to be the king. I accepted it as Halbrand accepting his title when he put on the armor back in Numenor. In, in my mind, he was king of the Southlands when we see him in that final shot of se uh, season one, episode five. Okay. Yeah, that's, that, one that's way a to fair play point. It. 
that's a fair yeah i'll give you that i just i had the same feeling jamie from that scene that evoked a sense of oh i'll put a bow on it and and the only thing that did save it was the actual ending of the episode which we'll get to in just a sec but i had the same feeling i thought it was all wrapped up in a nice little bow yes i will be the king of the southlands all hail the king of the southlands Bronwyn just had the most important meeting with the most important person she's ever met in her entire existence. And immediately she turns around and just starts simping for the new king of the South. <laughs> he has gone through this arc, right, of accepting being the king. There's like, been an arc. what he has to do. He, he had the call to action by Galadriel and Numenor. Mm-hmm. So I think that makes sense. What I didn't really like about right. this scene, Bronwyn sees the signet or medallion what, whatever what the, yeah. the symbol of the, the South smallest Ends. thing that you could possibly i did think that was a weird choice and then everyone around her immediately was like yeah. oh my gosh it's the king it's the king <laughs> and they just all immediately like they're like they have no idea anybody could have had that medallion i i just thought that yeah. was kind of an odd thing and how did they all see it yes exactly people in the back were like oh yeah he should have been wearing be the, king. the magic hat crown of the southlands which is just a 10 gallon cowboy hat. it's just That's this like small like <laughs> it's a small thing on his belt loop like yeah. how did it like what <laughs> bronwyn like sees little, him for the first time her eyes just go straight for the crotch and she's like yeah. oh shit he's a king <laughs> and could they like ask him his name before they just declare him king yeah can i see um, some id like um bronwyn my eyes are up here <laughs> thank you um excuse me my crown is on top of my head <laughs> I didn't feel as weird about it from the perspective of the Southlanders because right. they, at least the ones who have not pledged fealty to Adar and subsequently been murdered by their friends, the rest of them have been waiting for the king to yeah. come back. Yeah. So they are in this state of being like utterly hopeless before the Numenorians get there, just hoping that a king will come back to save them. And now their king is here. So from their perspective, I wasn't too upset about it. But from Halbrand's perspective, I just right. felt weird about that scene. I'm in agreement. I thought it was valid that they all bought on board. But I suppose you can make the argument the people of the Southlands are quite gullible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, I suppose. But they won't be gullible for much longer. Because <laughs> they'll be dead. There's not much Southlands left as fucking Waldrig. One last time, he has to show up and be evil. He takes the hilts and he activates the little shrine to Sauron to break the dam. And we find out that all these tunnels that the orcs have been building for five episodes had a purpose more than for just allowing them to travel in the shade. Tunneling all the water directly into the volcano as Mount Doom erupts, covering the Southland in ash and lava and death. I just thought it was very cool how the actual sword then starts these ancient maneuverings, like almost like gears that then trigger, you know, a stone moving in, changing the water flow, opening the dam, pulling the water down. And once again, the classic Lord of the Rings sweeping shots of then the water flowing into the into Mount Doom, where then I just get flashes of yes. Gollum kind of falling down and yes. like with the ring. It just, it, oh. this is everything. Yeah, that's true. Gollum falling down. I was thinking it was the same as Gandalf and the Balrog falling down in Moria. We get the oh. shot of the water falling into Mount Doom, and it's like the same wide shot falling down that we saw in, in well, Moria. Clearly, Charlotte perfected what she was going for because both of you thought of both of those scenes. 
Oh yeah. my God. It was such a climactic moment that we've kind of waited for. You guys are always talking about your theories. My theory, episode one, was that was Mount Doom in the background. And it, yes. it came. Oh, bring it came. back the theory music. Yes. Yeah. Can we get victory music? That was a victory. Yes, we need. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. We need theory confirmation music. That was an episode one victory. That's the best theory yet, Andy. From the tower and the fact that the tower is connected so much to that. And I wrote down Mount Doom going boom. Andy wins. Andy wins the podcast. I also think we can debunk my theory now that that is not the tower of the Eye of Sauron. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is definitively not Barad-dur because once again, my theory still intact, still accurate. Aryan is going to be the one. (laughs) to build the tower but that's going to happen in the future right now we have lava raining on all the townspeople of the southlands that have just been celebrating a victory over these orcs boy what a day for some of these towns i know (laughs) this is this was wild for them (laughs) they're just out here trying to their fields of grain just picking their hay and then like the last (laughs) week has just been terrible just terrible. <laughs> yeah, full-on Pompeii. Okay, I was going to say, I wrote, wrote down yeah. Pompeii and Middle Earth. <laughs> it was beautiful. We don't have a lot of Queen Regent Muriel in this episode. She's obviously there leading the troop. She's the one that tells Isildur that he can go in and join the fight. She thanks Bronwyn for saving all the people and all that good stuff. But the one shot that we do get of Muriel being classic Muriel is when all these people are dying in this explosion. She's in the middle of the explosion, and then Elendil runs in like, oh no, the queen, I must save the queen. And then a few cuts later, we see Muriel. She just has like a kid on each arm, and she's out here just saving civilians. Awesome. With Elendil nowhere in sight. She's just like, all right, I got this. I'm Queen Muriel. I'll save all these people. And she's dragging these poor innocent children to safety as everything is just falling apart. The Southlands are now shrouded in darkness. Right. And shout out to Morphid Clark uh, as we see her face just fall into hopelessness and, you know, somewhat degree of despair as we see this imminent cloud of dust and ash begin to wash over her. I thought it was great how she just portrayed the acceptance of what is to come. Do we think that she was allowing herself to die in that moment? Or was she like, I can survive this. I'm an elf. I just watched the scene again. I'm I'm watching it sometimes in the background when we talk about scenes. (laughs) She does close her eyes. I think it's more of like a, oh man. I guess What's I got to work over time. Yeah. I, I, I think it's more That's of like, I, a, too. I thought we were onto something. I, you know, I came back. This is what I'm here for. Finally got a lead. And now it's just what is going on? The only positive out of this is that I think the other elves are going to have to start paying attention as well yes. as the dwarves. And, and then as we get into the rest of the episodes, Mount Doom is here. And let's see how they react. Yo, hopefully the uh, Galadriel's comrades can come back from the Valar. There's going to be some interesting <laughs> news to, t- to transmit to the other side of the plane. Uh, yes, excuse me. I was correct. So uh, if you could just yeah. send those people back. <laughs> yeah, the bad guy's here still. I know you said he wasn't, but yeah, uh, we're <laughs> fucked. I, I know you're like on a beach sipping margaritas right now. Probably getting a nice foot rub, but you got to go to battle. Making paper (laughs) boats, having a good time, throwing no rocks. Uh, So, Jamie, I did want to make a quick connection here that I thought of as the smoke plumes are blowing in like onto Galadriel. I thought of one of my favorite uh, new Star Wars movies here, 
when the Death Star blows up Jeddah and yes. the Earth just starts towards Saw Gerrera. It's like comes uh, at him. Immediate parallels mm. because that's what's happening around them. The Earth is reacting and, and you can just feel the terror. Um, and it's actually really interesting to see as you're rewatching the episode or those <laughs> scenes, like all the people like running around just don't know what to do. Like, do they go inside? Do they just like right. try and dodge things? It's very interesting, like how you would react in this moment. There's another parallel that's even closer to this show because it's in this show just a couple episodes ago, oh, the Great the Wave, great wave. that yeah. destroys Numenor. Mm. We see almost right. the same exact thing of Galadriel standing there as this wave comes and presumably she would have died in the great wave and also presumably she doesn't die here okay that's going to lead me to a question do we think this was the great wave and in fact numenor being the sole i guess target was just metaphorical oh that well, could we be. still have to work the pedal metal for pedal metal for pedal metaphor <laughs> tree <laughs> yeah, yeah that might be conflating metaphors but I, I i mean it, it definitely could be if the palantir was not speaking specifically about numenor just the world in general maybe or this could go back to one of andy's other theories that maybe this Middle causes Earth, mount doom exploding causes the gray wave mm. that could be too we have so many theories guys so many theories tectonic <laughs> plates tectonic plates that's right no <laughs> <laughs> so i mean though jake you know what we've seen from palantirs before we've always seen things that have not come to pass or may not come to pass but they are events so that's what we do know from palantirs mm. so theory posited theory destroyed all in one episode we're efficient guys we're efficient <laughs> as possible we're getting better at this by the minute <laughs> What an incredible episode all around. Let's go around. Let's do some final thoughts on the episode. A lot to talk about. Fortunately, we missed out on the Harfoots and the Dwarfs and the Elrond storylines. So we were able to talk in a lot more detail about everything going on with these guys. But some final thoughts. And of course, we're going to rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 111 hooplas. We're going to start with our fantasy expert this week, Chris Final thoughts on the episode. I really enjoyed the episode. The choreography speaks for itself again with all the battle scenes. One thing I really appreciated that this was an hour and some change of cinema. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a high production value. This is what we have been asking for for a while. And it's finally coming to fruition with our first large army fight. It was a grungy fight. The prosthetics looked so great. The effects at the end of the episode looked excellent. Cinematically, this show is superior right now to anything else going on. Yes, it's a fantasy world, but that goes for any genre. I think there's no better cinematics. And then you have the story, which fits pretty seamlessly into uh, everything that's going on with the world as its own character. I had a couple of gripes with the episode. Uh, there, there are things that you can easily ignore, but it just brought me out of the element of watching the episode in its cinematic beauty. So it's, it's just a, a smidge lower, but I've got a one-time per season thing that I'm going to do here and apply a bonus, a cinematic bonus award to this particular <laughs> episode. Bonus my, noise. My rating for the episode Hoopla. is an 83 but I'm going to use the bonus to give it a plus five points to an 88 overall. Because <laughs> wow. cinematic, for cinematic. Please add your ability episode, modifier as well, Chris. <laughs> I'm going to do roll, this. I'm roll try for to do ability this. modifier. I'm going to try to do this once per season. I'm starting it now. This episode will be the most cinematically pleasing 
and wonderfully curated to this fantasy setting of the whole season. And I think for that reason, it deserves bonus points. So we'll give it an 88 in total. Absolutely agree. I like the bonus points idea for the cinematic beauty. Although I will tell you that Charlotte Bronstrom is directing the next episode as well. So we can expect some incredible cinematography coming up next week also. The sound design as well. I didn't mess in sound design. Excellent songs, especially in some sorrowful moments. And then, of course, that horror element that we have that's, that's new to this show is great. Yeah. Man, beautiful. All right. I love it. Let's go on over to my good buddy Jake for some final thoughts in his grade. Step aside, House of the Dragon. Welcome oh to Lord of the Rings. Oh my. <laughs> uh, this was finally the episode that we needed to say this show is on the map. Give me my transitions. Yes. I will say this. This episode was our Mercury Fulminate explosion breaking bad <laughs> episode. This was our beheading. This was our beheading. Ned Stark. Ned Stark. Thank you. Promise I was me. so incredibly pleased with this the cinematics were so explosive pun intended keep this rolling thank you amazon season two and beyond is going to be fantastic due to the well thought out well derived uh pilot season that they have construed and are going to just completely uh you know just uh, I'm at a loss he loves it. I'm at a loss he loves it, y'all. I, I can't Hobbit even. Hoopla is back. <laughs> so now let's see if his rating for this episode matches his inability to speak. You can just put up fingers and I'll tell the audience what your grade is. <laughs> you can't use words, but maybe numbers? <laughs> can, can, I, can I respectfully grunt? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's no, a 101. Gonna, yeah, no, I'm actually going to give this a 105 out of 111. Oh, my oh, God. The highest grade yet. <laughs> I felt it was very well deserved. Um, people have been very hesitant about watching this show. Again, you know, House of the Dragon has been gripping and interesting more up till this point, but no more. Yeah, this was a statement episode to say the very least. Absolutely. Andy, final thoughts. I mean, I can't add too much more than what we've said here. We've already talked about how cinematic the episode is. The the pacing was wonderful. Um, Just from the beginning to the episode until the end, there was no moment that really that lulled for me. My favorite part of Lord of the Rings is this backstory, this lore, expanding that and learning more about the sons of the dark, you know, like Adar and and that background and how it relates to the other characters. I, I thought the acting was wonderful, specifically Bronwyn and Arondir. I, I those those two actors just held the episode as well as obviously Adar. I, th- I think every scene he is in is captivating to me. Maybe it's because he's you know the leader of the the orcs. Uh, another part is the uh, Chris. You mentioned it. The costuming for the orcs was amazing just just amazing it, they look better than any orcs we've seen even in the original trilogy the the orc that fights arondir in that well fight is uncredited as of right now oh. we'll see if we can sneak that into next episode after i do some research but that staging was excellent the main part here is it's the mount doom the implications of this episode it's not just the implications for this season or this series it's for the second age. It's for the third age. Like 
This is yeah. what, what we wanted when we, you know, wa- when we were looking for a Lord of the Rings show, and it gets me nerding out. Like, I'm so excited to see what happens to the Southlands, how quickly it blacks out the sun. Like, then do the orcs, like, grow in number? There's so many questions that we're going to get to um, here soon. Only two more episodes left in this season of Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. I'm going to be very sad when it's over. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give it a 103 out of 111 hoopla's. That's around a 93%. Hoopla! I didn't want to go as high as 95 with Jake. You know, give some leeway for the, the penultimate episode here next week. I love it. Beautiful. Ooh. Two episodes left. Part of the reason why I love this episode so much was because it feels like a season finale episode. Yes. We I agree. tied up the storylines of everything the orcs were building to. Mount Doom has now exploded. We learned about our main villain currently, Adar. We learned all his backstory. And at the very end, we see that he escaped. Galadriel's story is growing. Halbrand is now maybe the king of the Southlands. We have questions about that, but it felt like it wrapped up a lot of storylines while still leaving a ton of questions for the future. So I'm super, super excited for the next two episodes. I'm going to go ahead and give it a 103 out of 111 as well. Hoopla! Wait a second. We missed a big point. I know we're right at the end here, but Jamie, you just said something that I didn't realize. I know we've given our ratings. I know we're wrapping up. Adar escaped. And we know this only because we see the barn explode. Oh. Yeah, Adar's gone. I did not consider that. Oh, I missed it. I missed that for sure. Does that add more bonus points? Do do we get a Dar skipping bonus points? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it just helps the narrative. Yeah. Sure, but give it a point. 89. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) That's a great catch that I did not get on either watch. Yeah. Adar has escaped and Mount Doom has exploded. So next week we have the penultimate episode of season one of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. We'll be back, as we always are, with our takes on the episode. So tune in next week for Hobbit Hoopla episode seven. But in the meantime, let's go to our favorite segment of the episode. Some nice happiness to end this devastating episode. There is some good in this world, Mr. Frodo. I got a shout out to the comic book world and the MCU in general this week. The teaser trailer for the new Deadpool movie shocked the nerd world. Yeah, I hope you're very cool. I love it. Uh, Yeah, uh, spoiler warning if you haven't seen it, we'll give you three seconds to to pause here, real quick. Hugh Jackman is back, and my goodness, that was a very cool little teaser trailer. Lots of questions, and all I got to say is I can't wait for 2024 on that one. Season three of The Rings of Power 2024. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be here. Hobbit Hoopla. Two years from now, we'll be we'll be doing it. So tune in. Thank you all so much for joining us this week. Fantastic episode. We have two more episodes of this season, and then Hobbit Hoopla is going to move on to do even more exciting stuff. We'll let you know about that in the coming weeks. But until then, tune in next week. Listen to episode seven. Find us on Twitter, Hobbit Hoopla. Join all of those fun things. Join the Hoopla. Tell us what you thought about the episode. All that good stuff. And make some chimichangas. <laughs> and make some chimichangas on Instagram. Deadpool reference for people that didn't know. <laughs> and now, for the moment of highest hoopla, what do you have for us this week, Andy? As Ron Deere said, take care, all of you. I have seen smaller armies defeat greater foes. Soon the sun will set. Do your part, and I swear to you, 
you will see it rise again. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? I 